Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. The X-Men have spent the last several months being all about newness, change, and the new status quo. But this week, the X-Men did something a little bit different. It was a big return to form in three different ways. Whether it was the return to the format of shock deaths that can't be undone, the return of a character who hasn't had an ongoing solo title in years, which seems literally impossible, or the return of characters from space. Hey, it kind of feels like the New Mutants always come back from space. It's been a whirlwind here on Krakoa, and of course, there's no people I'd rather cover it with than the Social Council of Krakoa. That makes me Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. I'm Dylan. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survived the experience similar to how Lockheed is alive. Oh my god, thank god. Can we all get like a moment of yay for the fact that Lockheed is okay? My my, my little baby dragon baby. Oh joy. I thought you were just gonna say, can I get an amen? You get multiple gay men. We do have multiple gay men and a queen, so everybody here is just living the life. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, this would not be We Are Krakoa without taking a look at the comings and goings outside of the pages of X-Men. Dylan, I think you got some news for us. Yes, this week was full of a lot of news. Most of it is tied into the upcoming Empire story that it will be hitting Marvel Comics in beginning of May, end of April. There is going to be an X-Men Empire miniseries. And we got to see this awesome cover that has Magic and Angel and Monet in her penance form on it. And for our listeners, this makes me incredibly happy, and you all know it, because finally we get to see Monet, besides her having a one-panel shot in the first issue of New Mutants. You know, that first issue actually is by Hickman and Teeny Howard. So it's exactly what we said. We've been waiting for Hickman to get his hands on this character that he himself had placed on his top five list forever. And seeing Hickman get to do the kind of narrative transformation to characters that we've been waiting for is, like, I'm on the edge of my seat here. I really want to see what he can do with Monet. And you know what? Cool. Make me like Warren. Do it. Be the first. I bet you can. Now, this does mean we're going to be reading Empire on here. Guys, knowing that Empire is coming up, knowing that these characters are coming in, where is everybody standing on this use of these characters as per this news item? I guess the best way that I could say it is they needed to give Warren another chance after he got immediately slaughtered in House of X, so... He did die very much. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how they work with these characters. For me, if these three are teamed up and not just on the cover, I think this would be a book or title full of a lot of snark. I mean, we have the two rich socialites of Warren and Monet who think they're better than everyone, and then Magic who just knows that she's better than everyone. And I think it will be really interesting if we get to have these three with each other. And I also think it's interesting that we have these three characters who all three have a dark side or version of themselves. I can't believe I've never thought of this before, but I need Ileana, Monet, and Domino to run like a Lady Dom Dom and Dom Center, where they can help all of these super submissive X-Men who clearly need a woman who knows how to wear a heel to help get their minds right, and like Emma can be the madam, and I really think this could work. Oh no, I'm doing that thing where I'm pitching mutant whores again. <laughs> I can't stop. Well, someone who loves me, not as much as Dylan probably, but I'm up there. I'm really excited to see her. Um, you know, and I never considered putting her and Warren together on a team, but that's an interesting note, so I am pretty excited. Um, I believe it was a few episodes ago that Nico said that Ileana is basically taking over the Marvelverse being placed here in Savage Avengers coming up, as well as Strange Academy. She is making her rounds, and someone at Marvel is pushing Ileana in everything, and am I mad about it? No! 
not in the slightest. Give me more of her. Put her in everything, especially because, well, she's sharing new mutants with so many people. Oh my god. And god bless him, but Birdo does not shut up. <laughs> you know, I actually love that you mentioned that Ileana is taking over everything. I kind of feel like this source is back to when there was the schism. Now, everybody knows, big Kieran Gillen fan, big Jason Aaron fan. Maybe it wasn't my favorite era, but I did love the way the pieces came together. Fascinatingly, I was at an X-Men panel right around then, where they were discussing how it all shook out, and how they traded people back and forth, and there were only certain characters that were on certain teams, and the one character that Jason Aaron was ultimately disappointed he lost out on was, in fact, Ileana. So she's been a hot property internally for quite a long time. And I think it's really reflected in her critical success, whether it's in the gotcha games, it's these amazing action figures that have been coming out. I'm so pumped to see Ileana finally step up and like, I don't know, Ileana has everything you need to be a Venom or a Deadpool. And I'm really excited to see her ascend those ranks. We got more information on a book that we were teased the week before for a book that's going to be called Union. It is a new comic that is coming out of the Empire event. The Union is going to be written by legendary British comic creator Paul Grist, and the art is going to be by Andrea DeVito, and it will also feature the character designs by R.B. Silva. And so we got to find out some information in regards to some of these characters that we don't know who they are. There's characters named Britannia, Kelpie, Snakes, and Choir. I I just, I mean, like, I went into this thinking I was going to get, like, Union Jack and Spitfire and, like, you know, the famous British characters that I keep hoping will start being famous and people will know who they are. Like, I was hoping maybe Death's Head would pop up on this. Death's Head 1, 2, 5, whichever one you can get your hands on. I find it's all new characters, and I'm just like, okay, I'm already I'm already ready. Can I get the four-pack of Marvel Legends figures, please? And, like, I'm so ready for this. I completely agree, and I am in love with this character that's named Kelpie. I don't know if it's just because... <laughs> I want to know if she's made out of kelp, but... I love her. Well, I love them if all. her name is Kelpie, I love her. she's probably based <laughs> off of the Scottish fairy, which is a seaweed horse that resides in swamps. Wait, is that a... No, that's a real thing. Wait, I'm that, up my facts That's on a mythology. real thing? Yes, I'm not joking. Oh my gosh. Google Kelpie. I'm... <gasps> I will say, in one of these character designs of Kelpie, it looks like she can, like, manifest herself out of seaweed Honestly, or something. Man, so, <laughs> I'm all for this character. Man, the seaweed is always greener. This is exciting. Now, Kyle, would this be your first foray into British comics? I mean, would you consider Excalibur British? Excalibur, I would say, is more an Americanized take on British comics. Okay. And I feel this is actually an attempt to create a British series a la the Knights of Pendragon or Super Soldiers. I think this is very in line with the British narrative of heroes. Then, in that case, this will be my first foray, and I am really kind of looking forward to this. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Regina, I know you had voiced interest in this title last time it came up. How are you feeling getting a few of the pieces and knowing the designs and what we're looking at? Well, I really like the designs, and Dylan, damn it, me and you are just, we keep staying on the same page. So, I really like <laughs> I really of like Kelsey's aesthetic. Of course you love the plant um, character. So I'm, I'm pretty excited as well to find out more about these characters and where the story is going to be going. I'm not really much for British comics, but, you know, I'm always in as long as I get a good story out of it. And I'm excited to see that there's a woman leading the team. This really feels like Marvel's trying to get on board with everything they've always said about respect for women and feminist representation. And I can only hope that they drive this all the way home with this beautifully designed Britannia character. The only British I have read is a little bit of earlier Captain Britain, so that's as much of experience I have. But I've watched a lot of British TV, but I felt like I should throw that out there. I'm looking for a mix of EastEnders and Coronation Street with like a snap of Top Gear and sprinkle on some Doctor Who, add some Call the Midwife, throw in some sh Shakespeare. He's British. Throw in some Shakespeare. Just all the Brit. <laughs> I hope our British <laughs> listeners are like, oh my god, I hate these Americans. I'm sorry, guys. We, you're maybe better off if you see it. 
One other bit of news that I wanted to mention is news that actually came out yesterday at the 2020 American International Toy Fair. Hasbro announced a crap ton of new Marvel Legends that will be coming out this year and towards the end of the year. And there's just so many of them. There's an entire wave of Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> Legends that the Build-A-Figure is Sugar Man. out of her own and box. So <laughs> the main discussion here. <laughs> That's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. She's being pushed out of her own box. She's barely in the box. It's Sugar Man's toy. He comes with a chain. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> a handful of Marvel Legends that are being strictly based on movies. There's a Professor and Magneto from the first X-Men movies. There's Wolverine and Mystique from the first couple of X-Men movies, and then there's a whole set of Deadpool ones that are based on Deadpool 2, so we get a newer version of Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and Domino, and Cable, and there's just a lot of Marvel Legends that are coming out this year that are pretty amazing. There's a a Target-exclusive Storm in her original uniform. They're finally making a new Warpath Legends, even though his face looks like every stereotypical angry Native American face. It's still amazing that they're making a Warpath one, so I'm pretty excited. For everybody I know, X-Men is a really personal thing, and I feel like they're trying to really tie into that sense of nostalgia for X-Men, whether it's through the films or through seminal issues like Giant Size X-Men. I don't feel like I'm getting a generic figure. I feel like they're pushing figures that reach out to the to the audience that still follows X-Men. I don't know about you guys, but I am a little disappointed in the choices for the Age of Apocalypse figures. I love Jean as much as I do, but I'm literally holding my Age of Apocalypse Jean figure from the 90s line, and it already serves the purpose. I completely agree when it comes to certain choices. What? For Age of Apocalypse toys, I feel like they've made the same ones over and over and over again. We already have, like, I think there's at least, like, two Nate Gray toys. There's a billion Age of Apocalypse Wolverine toys. Apparently, some very awesome people that really love Sugar Man, but Sugar Man freaks me out. (laughs) I love him so much. I just love him. He's so cute. He's not cute. (laughs) Wait, you're joking, right? Like, he's adorable in a horrifying way. (laughs) you and your love for these things that are mostly just a head and have like no legs i can't you know what i actually also when you think about it that way i do find modok (laughs) so like yeah i think i just like i like giant head monsters you know but you know what i think krang is ugly so go figure i actually do have a line and it's krang Krang is my giant head turnoff, I guess. That's that says a lot about me that I wasn't ready for. You know what? And I don't like Zola either. I don't like Alright, so this week we're covering New Mutants number seven. The creative team for this book was writer Jonathan Hickman, artist Rod Rice, VC's Travis Lanham as the letterer. I had posed a question in our green room asking if Berto or Danny had ever broken the fourth wall before, or if this is something that they've been known to do, and it's not something that they've typically either done or well known, or whatever it may be. There are only a couple of Marvel characters that regularly do it, them not being some of those. And it really confused me because this is you can introduce that as a character trait but it was weird it was a really weird level of fourth wall breaking that it wasn't subtle it wasn't just like a little wink and a nod and a nudge and you like uh, you know it was and a little shimmy shake and a little shimmy shake it wasn't like a hoochie mama kind of number kind of thing it was full-fledged this is the fourth <laughs> wall here's my bat i'm gonna smash it It was really weird that I I didn't understand, and I don't think it added anything to the story. It felt, the way I described it to Nico privately was someone doing stand-up and it failing hard because that's what it felt like. It felt like they were trying to do comedy and they pulled a Joel and copied someone else's routine and hoped that nobody would notice because, yes. I get it. There's definitely some Maisel to this sunspot kind of bit. I love it. I think it's fun. I think it's light but i don't think it works here i think that my big problem is that 
with New Mutants splitting between two different stories and two completely different methods of storytelling, it really breaks the immersion for me. And... This goes back to my feelings from the first issue where I did not feel like these were the New Mutants characters to me. And I get what you mean. There's like a, there's sort of like a hollowness to some of it. It just sort of feels like personalities being foisted onto these existing characters. And it's not even just personalities. Rain herself is just a single Licking joke. people! She's a joke. She won't stop licking! Why is she licking? No licking! No licking! No oh, licking! That was another thing, too, that just made me really uncomfortable. Like, I get it. They stopped making Liana weird, and now they have to have a different weird character because someone has to be the weird one. And that was just uncomfortable, unnecessary weird. Yeah, Rain. I was like, okay, are we trying to be phallic with the two licking white balls thing? Because oh I'm yeah, trying to figure out what the joke was there. <laughs> but that, Ooh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, we've got two separate characters that turn into or that are white balls, and she licks both of them. And I'm like, is this supposed to be a dirty joke in disguise? Because I'm pretty good at dirty jokes. <laughs> but this was just weird. It didn't add anything to her. And I'm like, you know, Rain has been through so much shit at this point. Why is she acting like she's 12 again? And licking. So much licking. It was just, it was just weird. I did feel like a lot of the characters were kind of regressed back to when they were much younger characters. Now, I did love Xandra. I think Xandra was one of the stronger characters in this book. I've, I've loved Xandra since she popped out and looked like Rogue. And maybe we don't know that much about her and her development yet. It wasn't, there wasn't really anything I would say that felt wrong about her. I did like the way that she was handling her situation with Deathbird coming and everything, but just this book felt like it's aimed at a much younger audience. They've made the characters into much younger versions of themselves. And if you have any history with the New Mutants, it just felt off. This issue, I disliked the fourth wall breaking. I mean, I know in the first couple of issues when we were with this team and not the Armor and Boom Boom, Boom, Boom team, there was the slight wall breaking with Birdo, which... That seemed kind of okay because at first it kind of seemed more like he was just narrating the story and not narr- not necessarily breaking the fourth wall. But I don't like them having him and Danny having this entire conversation that basically breaks the fourth wall. The art is amazing. I love that Rod's art from panel to panel. Every person looks consistent, like especially Birdo. It, it's amazing how some artists can make every panel that has the same character look like you're looking at a real life picture because it, it, it just looks like the same person. Sometimes some artists panel the panel, a character might look like a completely different face in the second panel. All of his panels of these characters look like the same person and they're all distinguishedly different from each other. And I completely agree. I was a little turned off on Rain licking balls in every panel that she was in. Oh, Jesus, when you say it as licking balls, how did I miss I I do want to say, though, that Rod's art, especially on Rain, I, I love how when she's in her wolf form, she, the art for her looks very much like Bill Sienkiewicz. Yes! yes! That is just amazing to me that someone can duplicate that in such a great way. I feel like the only people that seemed like themselves in this issue was Shi'ar. Everyone that's New Mutants seemed so childlike, but Deathbird, Gladiator, Xandra, all of those characters seem just like the characters that we've read for years, and they are great, but all the New Mutants, except for maybe Cannonball, all seem like children, and I don't care for it. As much as I love the fact that they threw in Generation X characters with this, why are they here? I don't understand why Chamber and Mondo were in this book. Yeah, they had they had absolutely no point, none, other than as a uh, transport for the the Krakoan flower. Yeah, yeah, Mondo and Doug had that weirdness in the first issue, which was really cool. But we've not seen anything more of Mondo or Chamber since, and certainly nothing of substance. I think, for my money, I understand they're trying to weave a complex narrative around the idea of who the new mutants were and who they'll become. And I think they're trying to tell a number of compelling stories 
and I like that it's multiple creative teams, but I don't know. There was something a little too tongue-in-cheek that felt almost at the expense of the audience for the fact that the book had a switch delay. I actually thought that was about art delays. I didn't know that that was like a oh-ha-ha cute moment. So I like that they tried to make it a no-prize kind of instant, but for me, I really do think that this book is trying to be too many things. And if it could focus in on one stronger story, I would connect with it a little bit more. I know we're coming up on these characters seemingly moving over to the pages of X-Men, which isn't just getting an Empire tie-in miniseries, but will also see the events of Empire affect the X-Men core title. With that in mind, it evidently will be connecting back to the Shi'ar and, oh, right, um, Vulcan. So this whole Vulcan thing, I am... With the X-Men being back on Earth, I'm really fascinated how Scott Summers' sudden, totally fine with his homicidal brotherness is... I'm... Yeah, I need answers. Part that I like the most from this issue is that slowed down moment between Berto and Sam. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show, but I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of men being able to show vulnerability with one another and it not be seen as a form of weakness or non-straightness. And that moment really made me happy because it was such a really strong bonding moment between these two men that do love each other very much. I mean, Berto did kind of ruin it by revealing that he bought the entire building, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Even that moment felt like a removed part of the entire narrative that almost felt like its own different story that could have been an entire issue in and of itself. So while I did appreciate it for what it was showing and what it was doing, it did not fit in with this book. New Mutants is a book about a bunch of characters. It's not just the Birdo and Sam show. And that sort of mono voce hyperfocus is something that we've commented on. It's sort of hurting a number of titles. We felt that Betsy has overpowered everybody else in every page of Excalibur so far. And... You know, until some recent events, I would have said Kate was overpowering almost every page that wasn't issue three of Marauders. So this is a really fascinating study in how the same methodology to create books is reacting in multiple different ways. The next book that we are looking at is Wolverine number one, which was actually split into two separate parts. We have in the first section, our creative team was writer Benjamin Percy. Our artist is Adam Kubert, who I adore. Frank Martin was the colorist and VC's Corey Pettit was the letterer. For part two, we have the same writer, Benjamin Percy, and the artist was switched over to Victor Bogdanovich. The colorist was Matthew Wilson, and we kept the letterer as well, VC's Corey Pettit. Okay, this book wouldn't end. I liked it, but this was a fucking trade, right? It was a very long mo- a book. Very long. It was a very long movie. It really yeah, was. Very long movie, yes. <laughs> uh, and I liked it. I liked most of it. Meandered a little bit. Uh, I'm not the biggest Omega Red fan, so you know what? Let's get the first story out of the way first. Omega Red, Krakoa, you know... Omega Red's whole creation is based on looking kind of spooky, so I don't always think that he's the best villain ever, and I think he is one of those sort of like refractory continued success Jim Lee elements. I enjoyed what I got from this, but um, wait, Wolverine's an unvampire now? What? How is Wolverine an unvampire? Is this turning into Underworld? I don't know what's happening, but Wolverine suddenly has type E endless blood. <laughs> like Vampires are like using it to get like real sun high. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Benjamin Percy, I'm on this ride with you. But yeah, this first story, it just felt really, really long. And then to have Omega Red ultimately actually be betraying them is just sort of like, oh, okay. I liked it, but I don't think I got anything. For me, I thought it was almost the at least the vampire parts was a little cheesy to be the first issue of Wolverine. I wish when it came to Omega Red, I am one of those people that says I love Omega Red, but I think it's just I love the look of him. It shouldn't be shocking that Omega Red is not going to be any kind of good for Krakoa, but I feel like this first issue was a little, I don't know. I just don't think this was first issue quality for Wolverine of all characters. So you're saying that when it comes to a guy like Wolverine, you need that widescreen shock. You want that Bendis explosion. 
like you really do want that sort of sensationalism for a first issue. Yeah, correct. And it doesn't need to be a book novel long to do that. It's Wolverine. Like people know how to write Wolverine in a way where 22 pages will give you that shock. And I don't feel like any of these pages really gave me any sort of wow. I will say there was one part of the, the book that gave me a wow and it's the silliest thing ever. The cover of the book, the the lettering and where they placed Wolverine, it looks like the title says wow <laughs> I haven't read nearly as many books as my fellow co-hosts have, but I do know that Wolverine is absolutely no stranger to getting a solo title or having a series dedicated to him. And when you have a character that's used so often like that, I feel like your book really has to be able to stand out. And I don't think there was much that stood out about these stories that was like new and put Wolverine in a situation that was different than something he's already been placed in before. Okay, so on the opening pages, you guys know how I like my art. <laughs> so we, sure we see him, we love and it. He's <laughs> and he's split open. You can see his adamantium through his skin. And I was like, yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's all bloody in the snow. And then you see the bodies of Quentin and Domino and Jean Grey. And it's just kind of like, okay, I really like the art. However, I've seen this before. Wolverine has killed his friends yet again. I was just kind of like, well, okay then. <laughs> We've been here before. He doesn't even really seem dazed by it. Like he's like, oh, I killed them. And there's footsteps. I've got to follow them now. <laughs> They'll just come back. He's like, oh, right. this story's getting written for me again. Yay. <laughs> kind of makes me wonder if like this story was part of a bigger picture and a bigger narrative and this story was kind of put to bed when they said you know what it's a great first part of this bigger picture but it might not be the grab you punch we're looking for and perhaps they added the b story for that reason interesting yeah i struggling to understand if these two stories that we got are going to somehow connect at some point or if they're just meant to be completely separate narratives moving forward, kind of like what we saw with New Mutants. And I'm really hoping that they do meet up because I, I'm really not a fan of having two separate narratives in alternate alternating books. Interesting. Now, I guess, you know, there wasn't too, too much to talk about that was, like we said, that different from Wolverine we've seen in the past in the first story. Did anybody feel a different way about that second story? Now, I know, I'm about to say something that's exactly the counter of what I just said, but I like that we got another random Wolverine has a female partner that's as strong and as smart as him. I know it's sort of like the thing they do, but I really like it. Her name is Louise. I like her costume and I want her superhero name to be Joan of Arc. I don't know why. That is what I thought of immediately and I'm sticking to it. And if she does get an official superhero name, maybe at some point or if we never see her again, that's how hence I shall refer to her as. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the second story was fun. I thought it was interesting, but I, I'm kind of on the side of everybody here. Benjamin Percy, your extra has been a dynamic story that I haven't always enjoyed the individual parts of, but I like the bigger picture. And I'm willing to see where this Wolverine goes, especially because of how much I enjoyed his Weapons Plus story. But I did feel like it took both issues to really sell me a Wolverine tale here. And I know Benjamin Percy has Wolverine in him because I thought his Wolverine in the pages of X-Force was gripping. I thought Wolverine was one of the things he had the best in that narrative. So, you know, as a as a pretty big Wolverine guy, as, you know, a big fan of the Knuckle, I feel as though this has the makings of a slow boil that, that carries my interests. I am really genuinely excited for where this may go. But yeah, this was too slow start. Well, the second part. One of the things that I did really enjoy is the interaction between Magneto and Wolverine. With Wolverine telling, you know, Magneto's kind of like, well, you know, we'll just resurrect anybody who dies. And Wolverine's like, uh, that's not even the issue. It doesn't erase the trauma that you have coming back. And I think that was something really important that, you know, even though you can be brought back, it, it doesn't erase the trauma of losing that bit of yourself. Um, and I know that that's going to be a recurring theme in some of the future books, but I thought that was a really important thing to come out and, and actually say on text. 
Thank you for highlighting that. I had forgotten to bring that up, and that is such a great point. A lot of fans are starting to get maybe a little titchy about the soul aspect of what's going on, whether or not these really are the X-Men, and how these constant traumas are going to begin to affect their functional psyche as living people. And, you know, getting it from a guy like Wolverine, who, frankly, has died and come back more than a handful of times... It's the right place to put that level of severity. It's definitely about time that they start addressing that. I know that they may have been hinting about that in X-Force, but that all depends on if how what actually happened with Colossus. We agreed that last week that they had made an error when they said that he had died, but they haven't really addressed until now how the mutants are affected by the resurrections. So I'm, I'm glad that they're addressing that now. When it came to the issues of X-Men that were delayed, and then we got to see Sink and how he wasn't necessarily just all happy and chipper like everyone else. And then in X-Force with Colossus, and now with the second part of Wolverine, I know the next issue of X-Men that is supposed to showcase a little bit about Apocalypse and Nightcrawler on the cover... The information for the issue does mention that that issue is where they are going to start addressing the soul problem. So I feel like maybe when we were all getting a little bit mad about delays, there's some tiny pieces like the soul part that are a part of why the delays were happening. Because they needed these tiny other pieces of the chessboard to happen before that next issue of X-Men comes out. And you bring up something that I now have a humongous question about. You mentioned how other titles might be affecting our interpretation of this book. We're all kind of like, eh, but okay, we'll keep reading. Like, we're all very sure. Do Are we possibly giving this book a bit of a free pass because the writer has at least one other title coming out of the X office every month? And if somebody didn't have an additional book, would we be a bit more critical? I think I might. I totally agree with that, that statement there. There's a section where they also talk about the story of St. Julian and the inevitability of certain things that are going to come to pass. And I just thought that was a really neat inter- interjection um, as far as the story. And, you know, we know that Omega Red is bad news. He's he's going to do what he's going to do. And I just kind of really like the way that they put that story in there as somebody who has researched saints quite a bit. I was really glad to see how accurate it actually was as well. I also kind of sat there going, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Someone knows something. Oh, shit. <laughs> that story was basically Oedipus without the motherfucking. Basically. Wow. That was motherfucking Oedipus without the motherfucking. <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> i thought the second story was probably a little bit better only because the first story felt like it was mementoing i thought it was a little bit better because it it felt more like an actual story as opposed to a story that had parts that it was giving to because it was trying to do a flashback as the whole story it was oh the first one was paced a little weird and maybe the substance wasn't my favorite this i felt was a little bit more in line than what i expect from a wolverine story with as nico said you know strong female counteractive person that he can bounce off of and wants to bounce in that being said, Wolf. I enjoyed this story, and this was some cheese, and I don't mind cheesiness like this, but I maybe need a little bit of wine to, like, cut through that cheesiness. Oh my god, I think Omega Red wined enough for everybody. Do you have my Copernidian synthesizer? I need my Copernidian synthesizer. Please give me my Copernidian synthesizer. Oh my god, we get it. You're a one-trick pony. But he has Sorry, tentacles. Sorry, I really hate Omega. I really hate him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> our last book is marauders number eight which we decided was going to be our book of the week because we all loved it so much our creative team is writer jerry dugan artist stefano caselli edgar delgado as the colorist vc's Corey pettit as the letterer and our cover artists were russell dodderman and matthew wilson i just wanted to say speaking of russell dodderman i totally forgot one super incredibly amazing part of the news that came out this week the final issue of Giant Size X-Men was announced on which character it was going to showcase, and it is going to be showcasing everyone's number one goddess, Storm, with the story written by Jonathan Hickman, and the art will be by the amazing Russell Dodderman, who has been serving up some of the best Storm art that we've seen in decades. 
and we're actually going to get a ton more from him next week in the pages of Giant Size, Jean Grey, and Emma Frost number one, which he did the interiors on. So I can't wait to see him kick off this Giant Size incredible experience and then wrap it up with the same strong female hero. I think... Especially as someone who loved his Thor and loved his interpretation of Jane and, you know, as a guy who really appreciates it when he sees another queer creator do so well. It's really amazing to see Russell Dowderman's triumphant rise. This issue, for me, uh, it was amazing and dark and sad and just everything for me. I know Marauders, for the most part, this team, they've only been together for like seven issues. And even with that, like Bishop wasn't even on the boat for a while. But I love that this issue, you get to see how hurt these characters like Bishop and Emma and Bobby and Storm are when they learn of what has happened to Kate. It's, it's just, I love that feeling of just family and everything that you get. And even with Bishop, his panels don't even have that many words, but the art that is drawn for him, his facial expressions, just everything. This book is amazing. And I love that pain that you get to see with them because the X-Men are family and that's what the X-Men has always been about. The amount of emotion that was coming through the art in this book is just absolutely amazing i felt completely heartbroken for all of these characters just seeing the way that they reacted to the news that kate had been found and i i don't think i ever expected to see emma this distraught over anything she's always been this diamond hard person to me and just seeing her break down like this it just that was when i i realized that this was going to be a really tough issue to get through for me this book had everything dead mutants live <laughs> dragons <laughs> crying women and Krakoan portals. Anyway. <laughs> crying women. Oh my God. Crying women. Crying women, Jonah. Okay. Okay. You funny motherfucker. Hope you're proud of yourself. Oh my God. Oh my God. Jesus Christ, Jonah. As well as well as Kukins. I what 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 in God's name are Kukins? Well, you see, when the cuckoos act like a beacon for Emma, <laughs> they're Okay. Okay, so this is officially the gayest X-Men podcast ever, and that's a really, really high bar. Uh, yes. As my uh, co-host Stefan said, I thought this book had everything, and I thought every scene, everything about this book was super on point and amazing. Like there, there are so little words I can actually use to describe the amazingness of what this book entailed and how much it did for my love. It had my two favorite X-Women have a really beautiful moment together. It showed Bobby in a light that I was like, oh, oh, okay, you're, 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 you're cool. You can do things. Like, I'm so into it. Everything I needed out of an issue of what happened in the previous issue, it gave me. It really, really did. The only thing we were missing was Hominus Verandi poking around in Pyro, but who wants to be poking around in Pyro? I think I expressed previously that I'm not always the biggest Emma Frost fan because when I first started reading her, you know, she was part of the Hellfire Club and Dark Phoenix. And who can blame you? She legitimately enjoyed torturing children. And like this whole, oh no, I love children so much that I torture them for fun was definitely something that they came up with many years later. So truly your resistance to trusting Emma with your heart is oftentimes a well-rewarded concern. So, you know, we leap forward into the 90s when she finds out that her Hellions have all been killed. And, you know, she was inhabiting Bobby's body at the time. That was such an amazing issue. That was the first time I really started to feel something positive towards her character. And so when we see her reacting to Kate's death in this book, it brought me back to that moment. And you see her, I mean, oh my gosh, the artist, oh my God, he is so amazing. So he shows you literally her knees buckling 
And then she collapses onto the floor. And that was just such a poignant moment. You know, my heart completely broke for her. Bishop finds Kitty's body and he's talking to her and he's saying, you know, are you seeing this? And he says, I can hear your heart racing in my ears. And I, oh my God, in that moment, (laughs) I completely started to fall apart. And I said, oh my God, this, well, they're recovering her body and Bobby is losing his mind and he's attacking these people that are on this boat. And, you know, he's reminded, hey, we can't kill these people. So he's like, I'm just going to frostbite the shit out of them and they will remember this for the rest of their lives. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) That was just, that was so amazing just to, to have him think in that manner. I don't think I've ever seen Bobby so angry. So then Emma goes to tell Storm. And of course, Storm has the most visceral reaction. She's basically been Kitty's surrogate mother for since she was 13 years old. She slaps the crap out of Emma. And I was like, whoa, Storm. <laughs> but then they embrace. And I know it was just out of her pain. And Emma understanding that pain. And then they embrace. I was just like, Wow, this this it was just such a strong and powerful moment between these two particular characters. They have, you know, fought against each other and, you know, Emma has stolen Aurora's body. She's never apologized for that, but they came together in their grief. And that was just it was just such an amazing moment. I loved it so much. Yeah, the moments for me, especially with Bobby and Storm. I mean, Bobby Yes, he's gay now, but at one point in time, he had feelings for Kitty. And this is someone that he, I mean, she's a friend. He's loved her. It was just amazing to see that rage come out, especially because we haven't really seen Bobby really do anything in Marauders, except for Christian. <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't gotten so, to see that. I need a full-fledged screen uh, scene of them. Why don't they have a honeymoon pick like <laughs> Scott and Madeline's honeymoon pick that they sent to Xavier, where Scott is oh, hanging down and Madeline's tatas around? Oh, I love that photo. No, that that's so. <laughs> <laughs> that's somewhere on only only games, mutants, not in only mutants any comics, but just for mutants. <laughs> With Storm, and just like Regina said, she's been basically Kate's mom. It's, I mean, for Storm, it's her kitten, because that's her name for Kate. It's just like Regina was also saying, if you know the history of Emma and her loss of her kids multiple times, the Hellions, the new X-Men Academy kids, like, she's lost her kids before, so she understands this reaction of Storm's. It's just... That deep meaning of Bobby and Aurora's pain is just, ugh. I, I hate that comics can make you feel emotions like that so profoundly, but... Yeah, I hate enjoying their ugh, pain, but issue. it's so exquisite. The big thing I walked away from this issue with was surprise. Because we sort of all joked a couple of weeks ago when they were initially like, LOL, Kitty's gonna die. And they put it on some covers and we were like, yeah, sure. Kitty, bye, Kitty. Bye-bye. Most popular X-Man ever. Bye-bye. You're dead, Kitty. Bye. And, you know, we all kind of joked about how serious is that gonna be. I truly found myself, maybe not convinced she's dead forever, but I was shocked at Jerry Dugan's ability to convey a sense of loss and dread through these characters. It's as if They believe Kitty can't come back. So regardless of anything else that shakes out of this story, I find myself further impressed by Jerry Dugan's ability to weave together a narrative about real people experiencing real emotions, despite the hypersaturation of the fantasy element of resurrection. It felt very much to me like attending a wake for 22 pages. Oh. I completely agree with that, though. When it comes to Kitty, she does seem to be X-Men's go-to sacrificial lamb a lot of times. And as much as I love this story, I kind of also maybe wish it could have possibly been someone else because I am kind of tired of Kitty being the person that sacrifices herself over and over and over and over again. I think this death of Kitty is a little bit different from the other times because it isn't really a sacrificial death. She was murdered. And while I know it still has the same effect of Kitty's dead, everyone's so sad, everybody loves Kitty or Kate. I still think because the motive for this death wasn't of her own and it was a political and strategic ploy by Sebastian that it makes it just a little bit different for me. But that's just my two cents. 
Kitty represents uh, innocence for a lot of writers. So because they grew up with her as a child, they constantly play her into that role. So she's sort of an easy person to quick get rid of when you need to make people feel something. Towards the end, we get this wonderful page called The Red Diamond, which is all the best news and gossip from Bar Sinister. And all it the best. reads a little bit like a 15-year-old's diary. Yes, it does. <laughs> so at the very- which I imagine most sinister things do. <laughs> So at the very end, we've got this section that says Sinister Secrets Revealed. Oh, of course, it's Fenris. Gross. You can't spell (laughs) (laughs) God, the Strucker siblings are one of those things that I don't know how they'll never die, but they're going to keep coming back forever. (laughs) Glork. (laughs) Oh, man. Are you a Fenris fan, Regina? I don't really actually know that much about them. I've read a few issues with them in it, and I didn't do that until The Gifted came out, which I loved that show. So that's when I kind of started doing my background work on them. They're not the greatest villains. They're very silly. (laughs) Yeah, I just loved the part that said the suck, and I just felt like I had to say that. (laughs) Oh, I can't blame you for that. (laughs) With Sebastian bringing them in, it's making me want more and more for him to fall badly at this point. Die horribly. (laughs) Die, die horribly. (laughs) Or or to be sent into one of those little uh, holding areas inside Krakoa. You know, we've said for a very long time, and Dylan, who we gave some shit to for being attracted to him, obviously he's meant to be very attractive. He's drawn to be, like, you know, very bearish. Right, So he's meant to be sexy, and I think that's part of the allure. I think he's meant to be so bad he's good. It's just we've seen him be so bad so many times that we kind of can't imagine any good left in him. At the end of the day, I just want Sebastian Shaw to lose his balls. Just have them lopped right off. Someone just take them. Yeah. He doesn't have any. Emma has them wrapped up in her storage shed where she keeps everyone else's balls that she has. These issues were probably the most mixed bag with New Mutants regressing characters to a really weird previous state that they were in that doesn't make sense for the current narrative that they're trying to tell as well as what they would do in their present day forms. Wolverine felt like a weird mishmash of things. Not bad, but also just maybe a little bit too long. Maybe this story could have been split up into two shorter issues as opposed to like two droning on issues. And there is no words that can ever be said that to diminish our love and our light that came from Marauders number eight. And I do want to pose a quick question to my fellow co-hosts. I thought it was really weird to have fourth wall breaking with characters that aren't traditionally known for it. With Gwenpool being newly revealed as a mutant, do you think that she would be a good addition for the cast of New Mutants? I think if they wanted someone to break the fourth wall, I think she would actually fit the best. But that's just me. I actually don't know a lot about Gwenpool. Maybe you guys do. But how would you guys feel about that? I mean, I know that Leah Williams wrote her recent Gwenpool Strikes Back series, which is where she was revealed to be a mutant, and it was pretty well received. With her taking over the reins on X-Factor as a title, I'm going to assume that if she's going to show up anywhere, she would show up there. And I, for one, would be pretty excited to see X-Factor be kind of like an exciting cast of ever-changing characters. This might be my bias of when it comes to Deadpool and Deadpool-like characters with the X-Men. I would prefer them to all stay far, far away. (laughs) I think if they tried to work her into New Mutants, we might end up with another kind of Mondo and Chamber situation. I I don't feel like she would mesh well with the other groups. I don't know very much about Gwenpool. She seems like a very fun character, so maybe if they did introduce her, you know, it would it would be as a character foil to a different character and drive them completely bonkers. So that might be kind of fun. <laughs> I would be into it. I would absolutely be into it. Why not? Let's get some craziness back on the X-Men. Dylan, I respect your feelings for less Deadpool in this world. But, you know, at the same time, I find myself kind of rooting for She-Hulk-like characters who can add a little levity to the universe. And hey, if you can make one a mutant, I'm there. Kyle, what's happening next time? We have Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey, and Emma Frost, which will have three covers. New Mutants number eight, X-Force number eight, 
X-Men number seven, which will have two covers, X-Men Fantastic Four number two, which has three covers, and Wolverine by Claremont and Buscema number one facsimile edition. For trades, we have Dawn of X volume two, Excalibur epic collection, Curiouser and Curiouser, Wolverine, Daughter of Wolverine, and X-Men Milestones Operation Zero Tolerance. But until next time, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X that Regina helps me moderate. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G, on Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG, and on Facebook moderating the House of Goblin Queen that you set up for me for my birthday. So thank you so much. And Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me falling in love 12 times, not including myself. Wait, 11? No, it was 12. <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, guys, you can find me on this amazing network where Joey has given me a home on shows like HTML, which I do with my amazing husband, Kevo, who also does the Captain Britain episodes of Classic X's for Podcast. And right now, you can check us out on HTML covering Star Wars with a bunch of these guys, Jonah, Kyle, and Dylan, all appearing on some amazing Clone Wars episodes, celebrating the original Clone Wars by Gendy Tartakovsky, before the new Clone Wars, which is the old Clone Wars, wraps up. It's a lot of work, guys. But you can also also find me all over the internet on websites like xsforpodcast.com or weirdcocoa.com, our internet portals, as well as my comic, Kid Riot, over at kidriotcomics.com. Don't forget to look me up on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, it is a blast being here with you on Krokoa. And until next time, guys, we're going to see ya. See ya. Bye. 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 <laughs>